Let's pray together. Father, we have come together to gather as a church, bought by the blood of our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called us together to carry out his directions. We ask, Father, that you will speak to us by your spirit. May the Lord of the churches have his way in us, we pray in his name. Amen. We return today to the book of Revelation in our series, Hear What the Spirit Says to the Churches. Uh, Jesus, the Lord of the churches, spoke these messages many years ago to seven specific churches, but he intended that all of his churches would hear these and respond. So once again, the Lord of the churches speaks, and once more, amazingly enough, he speaks to us. Here's what he says, Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. There's a note sheet in your folder if you want to pull that out. Follow along on the screen. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. This message is different from most of the others. The church in Smyrna is one of only two churches out of the seven that Jesus does not reprimand in any way. They apparently have no big issue of disobedience that they need to repent of. But they do have problems. They have big problems. Notice Jesus says in verse 10, do not be afraid. That's a lot like that word overcome. Uh, You don't use that word when things are easy. You don't use the word overcome when things are easy. You don't say, don't be afraid when things are easy. If Jesus is telling you not to be afraid, one of two things is true. You are either facing something right now that is scary, 
or you soon will be. And for the Christians in Smyrna, it was both. At the moment, they were experiencing a whole lot of hostility and mistreatment from the community in which they lived. And I get that from a couple of words, from the word afflictions and from the word slander. Christians got accused of lots of things. They still do. But in those days in particular, um, lots of different descriptions of them. The Greeks and Romans used to call them, believe it or not, atheists. And they called them atheists because the Christians refused to worship all the popular gods of the day. All those gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon that you may have learned about, you know, when you were a kid, Zeus and Apollo and those guys. Christians wouldn't worship them. Greeks and Romans called them atheists because of that. The Jews accused them of blasphemy because Christians believe that Jesus, a man, is Lord. Some people accused Christians of cannibalism because they heard rumors that the communion ritual involved eating the body of Jesus. And some people accused Christians of treason because they refused to worship the Roman emperor and they called Jesus king. Now, this was all nonsense, of course, but just because something's nonsense doesn't mean people don't believe it. And uh, just because it's nonsense, that doesn't keep people from believing it so strongly that they get really upset about it. And apparently in Smyrna, it was the Jewish opposition in particular that was especially intense. Even though Jesus was Jewish, even though his apostles were Jewish, even though all of the very first Christians were Jewish, other Jews, especially religious leaders, rejected the message of Jesus. And some of them were very active in their opposition. If you know the story of how the Apostle Paul became the Apostle Paul. He started out as a man named Saul of Tarsus, and he was intense. He was convinced the Christians were destroying his faith and the faith of other Jews, and uh, he was determined to stop it, stood by while one of them was murdered, uh, threw them in prison, did all kinds of things. So some felt very strongly about this, and they were determined to oppose these Christians at any, uh, whatever lengths it took. They felt it was their duty to shut them down. And by the way, calling these people a synagogue of Satan, that's not an anti-Semitic slur. It does not mean to imply that they were Satan worshipers. What it means is that they were doing Satan's work even without realizing it. See, by slandering the Christians in Smyrna, by probably calling them blasphemers uh, because they worship Jesus, by slandering them, they were doing the very thing that Satan does. Do you know the name Satan and the term devil? They both pretty much mean the same thing. They refer to the same activity, and that is slandering accusing, lying about God's people. Which, by the way, is why gossip is so bad. Do you know why gossip is such a terrible sin? 
Again and again, the Bible tells us, don't, don't gossip, stay far away from that, you know. Uh, and we might think, well, yeah, okay, it's probably not the nicest thing in the world, but is it really that bad? Yeah, it really is. And here's why. It's when we gossip about, or when we lie about, or when we slander somebody, we are doing Satan's work, whether we mean to or not. Because that's what Satan does. Satan tears people down with lies, with distortions, with accusations. That's his job. That's not our job. Our job is to build people up with words. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Not any. Don't just try to cut down. None. No unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit, or a better translation, I think, that it may give grace to those who listen. So the Christians in Smyrna being slandered, insulted, ridiculed, harassed, they were very unpopular, and that probably explains why they were so poor. Uh, This very thing is going on in other places of the world, around the world, even today, places where it is not acceptable to become a follower of Jesus. So parts of India, for example, in Muslim nations, in places where other religious traditions are the norm, the culture, to become a Christian can cost you a lot. Some places it can even cost you your life. And in many places it can cost you your job. Imagine that. You know, people view you as a traitor, a traitor to their people, a traitor to your family, a traitor to your community. You can lose everything. Can you imagine that? Imagine losing your livelihood, going to work one day, and there's a note, you're fired. Well, why? Well, that's because you're a Christian. Losing your home, losing all your possessions, just because you love Jesus Christ. That's what it was like for them. Things were tough for this church. And they were about to get a whole lot worse. It says the devil's going to put some of them in prison. They are going to suffer persecution, maybe even to the point of death. And Jesus knows. He knows. He knows how much these people are suffering because of their loyalty to him. He knows how much more they're going to suffer. So, what does he say to them? What does he say to these loyal followers of him who are going to suffer so much? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't worry about it, because I will never let anything bad happen to you. I don't know where we get that idea that bad things don't happen to people who love Jesus. But I know we don't get it from the Bible. If you think that real Christians won't suffer injustice, if you think that real Christians won't experience 
heartbreaking tragedy, injury. You need to read your Bible more carefully because that message just is not there. Quite the contrary, actually. 2 Timothy 3.12 In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Acts 14.22 We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 4.12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. You are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Wow, Pastor Scott, this is great news. (laughs) We're glad I came to church today. <laughs> we got to get rid of that notion that if you really trust Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's not true. It's not biblical. So what does Jesus say to his suffering followers? How does he encourage them? He says, be faithful. What does that mean? It means hold on. Hold on to me. Hold on to who I am. Hold on to what I have told you. Hold on to all that I have promised you. And I will get you through it. And you will be so glad. It will be worth it. Hold on. The main thought that struck me as I was reading this was how appearances are not always real. This church appeared poor. But Jesus said, no, actually, you're rich. The people criticizing the church appeared very devout, very righteous. They thought they were doing the will of God, but they weren't. Satan is going to cause the Christians to suffer. And it's going to appear as if he rules over them. But he doesn't. Jesus rules over him. And death. Death appears to be the last word. But it is not. So again and again, what appears to be real isn't real. Now, let me clarify that. I don't mean by that, when I say it's not real, I don't mean that in the sense that it's not an actual experience. As if it's, you know, just some kind of illusion, some kind of uh, hallucination or something. No, the experience is real. I mean, if you, if you are financially poor, if you are going through financial hardship, that's a real experience. If you get thrown in jail for following Jesus, that's a real experience. If you get put to death for following Jesus, that's a real experience. But it's not the ultimate reality. There is... Another reality that is much, much greater. And that reality will transform all of our experiences, even our 
bad experiences, every one of them, that ultimate reality will transform every experience, even the worst of them, into lasting joy and satisfaction if we trust Jesus Christ. So, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here is the Spirit's message for us. When it hurts to follow Jesus, hold on to what he says is real. Hold on, and it'll be worth it. When it hurts to follow Jesus. Now, we, I think it's safe to say most of us, perhaps all of us, we are not experiencing true persecution for our faith. Not yet, anyway. Although many Christians throughout the world are. But today, more and more more people are accusing Christians of being hateful, intolerant, ignorant. And then, you know, if you're a Christian student, you probably already know that a biblical point of view is ridiculed on campus, by and large. And some Christians experience ridicule within their very own families. You might be one of those. So for whatever reason, following Jesus at times can hurt. And that hurt is real. And it's at those times especially, it's at those times especially that we need to hold on to what Jesus says is real because he knows. He knows what is real. He knows what is ultimate reality. We've got to hold on. So what does he say is real? First, hold on to who he is. Hold on to who he is. Jesus is real. He is real. He says here, I am the first and the last. That means He is ultimate. He is before anything else. He is after anything else. And He is greater than anything else. He is ultimate. He rules over all things. Even death. He says, I am the one who died and came to life again. In other words, I am the master of death. I defeated it. So hold on to who I am, because I rule. And I am for you. I am for you. I have promised I will give you life. I have told you that death cannot harm you. I will rescue you. I will reward you. I will transform even death into life for you. When I talk about holding on to what's real, I'm not just talking about some kind of uh, mental exercise, you know, some practice of positive thinking. Now, I think positive thinking is good if it's true. The Bible tells us this, you know, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, think on these things. We need to tell ourselves the truth because, you know, our minds can get all choked up with all kinds of gunk 
stuff that isn't true, and we start thinking, oh, it's, it's a hopeless. And we got to tell ourselves the truth according to God's word. But this is more than that. Holding on here is more than just telling yourself the truth. This is actually putting your life and your hope and entrusting yourself into the hands of a person. A real person. The only one who can guide you to eternal joy. See, this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, the Lord will rescue me. Not positive thinking will rescue me. The Lord Jesus will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So see, make sure you don't miss what believing in Jesus means. See, as, as Americans, we're always thinking believing is, you know, what happens between the ears, and it's, it's like you've got you to convince yourself of things that you maybe you even have some doubts about. You're not 100% sure, but I've got to believe, I've got to believe, and so it's all this mental turmoil and everything. And No. To believe in Jesus means to entrust your life to Him, a person. To say, as best I know how, with the limited understanding I have, and in spite of my doubts, I believe you are the one who died and rose again and will give me eternal life, and I put my life in your hands. That's believing in Jesus. Entrust yourself to Him. Act on the fact that Jesus is real. Even when you're suffering something that seems to make absolutely no sense, hold on to Jesus. Because He's real. Second, hold on to real riches. Church in Smyrna looked very poor. But they were rich. Jesus said this to his followers, Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Can you imagine... If you're in, you know, dire financial straits, I don't know, maybe you've lost your job, you're out of work, maybe uh, you've made some poor financial decisions or just everything's catching up with you and things are looking bleak. And then all of a sudden you get a certified letter from the Queen of England. And she says, hey, here you're having trouble. I just want you to know that of all the people in the world, I've decided to make you my one and only heir. And you are going to inherit the entire wealth of the crown of the British Empire. You think that would change your attitude at all? This is better. This is better. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father in heaven has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Which kingdom? The kingdom of God. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. There are two kinds of treasure. One is the treasure of this world and one is the treasure of God's kingdom. The treasure of this world absolutely will fail. The treasure of God's kingdom absolutely will not fail. So, whatever wealth you have in this world, 
Every little bit of it, you're going to lose 100% of it, guaranteed. Either it's going to leave you or you're going to leave it. But whatever wealth you store up in God's kingdom, 100% of it. How do you store it up in God's kingdom? Basically, by investing it in his work. Whatever you invest in the kingdom of God, you absolutely will keep forever. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are wealthy beyond imagination. And that's real. And that's real no matter what your pension fund is doing, no matter what your 401k says, you're wealthy. Hold on to that. Hold on to that and don't be a slave to earthly wealth. And don't feel deprived if you don't have a lot of it. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. (coughs) Hold on to that. And hold on to real righteousness. Real righteousness. Now these, these Christians in Smyrna were being accused of being blasphemers. That's a pretty serious accusation. And they were being accused of this by people who looked very righteous. They looked good. Deeply religious folks. And they told the church, they told these Christians that they were dishonoring God by worshiping Jesus. Because the real God would never become a man. And he certainly would not die a shameful death on a cross. That is a terrible thing to say. Plus, it was insulting to them to be told these good law-keeping people, to be told that they were sinners who were on their way to being condemned by God. And so they needed a crucified Savior to rescue them. That didn't go over well. To them, that was outrageous. And they basically said, no, you guys are wrong. You need to do it our way. You need to keep the rules. You need to keep the law. That's the way to be right with God. That's what they said. What does Jesus say? The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And why is that? Because... God made him, his son, who had no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's in connection to Jesus that you become righteous, period. That's the only way. That's real righteousness, there is no other. So when people tell you, as religious people do, that, ah, uh, <laughs> believing in Jesus, that's too easy. Well, you just pray a prayer, you're going to heaven. 
That's too easy. No way. You got to keep the rules. You got to put in the effort. You got to perform certain rituals. If you want to be right with God. Or if people say, if they insist, as Jews and Muslims do, that it dishonors God to say that Jesus is his son. And that the son of God died on a cross. That's dishonoring to God. Or if they say, you guys are so arrogant to think that anybody can know that they're right with God. That's just arrogant. If people say that, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Now, don't be angry and don't be insulting and don't mistreat anybody who disagrees. Because that's not what we're called to do. But hold on to what Jesus says is real righteousness. The one real righteousness given to us by God to everyone who believes, again, who puts their trust in Jesus Christ in Him alone to make you righteous. That's real righteousness. Hold on to that. Hold on to it because it's real. If somebody tells you you're not right with God, hold on to what Jesus says is real. And finally, hold on to real life. Hold on to real life. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all. It's the strongest way you can say no in the original language. It means no, not ever, no chance, can't happen. You will not be hurt by the second death. Now, to all appearances, dying is the worst thing that can happen to you. To all appearances. But it's not. It's not. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid, or better, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Being destroyed in hell, being ruined in hell, is infinitely worse than dying physically. Because it means being separated forever from God and everything good. It's what Jesus calls the second death. That's the bad one. Chapter 20 of Revelation describes it like this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, how do you get your name written in the book of life? You ask Jesus to write it there. Jesus, please. I have no hope apart from you. Put my name in the book of life. And he will. When you put your trust in him. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this book is full of symbols. 
and lake of fire may very well be a symbol. But we should take no comfort from that, as if by saying it's a symbol, oh, it's not that bad. Every description we have of eternity without God, in other words, without forgiveness, without love, without friendship, without joy, without peace, without anything good. Every description we have of judgment is terrifying. It's terrifying. So this symbol, if it is a symbol, it stands for something. And that something is unimaginably bad. Now, eternal life, on the other hand, is unimaginably good. So good that it will transform any kind of persecution, any kind of hardship, any kind of suffering into insignificance. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and if you know anything about the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he knew a lot about real suffering. I mean, to the point where people stand in a circle around you and throw the biggest rocks at you that they can find until you're dead. That hurts, I think. (laughs) I, I cannot speak from experience, but I'm guessing that hurts. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. That doesn't mean sufferings don't hurt. They hurt. They hurt a lot. What it means is they don't compare to the good things that are coming. To those who hold on to Jesus and his promises. I'll give you a really silly illustration of this. Tomorrow my family and I are, are, Lord willing, going to pile into a car and we're going to start a journey to Southern California to go down and visit family. And it's going to be like a thousand miles or a little more. In a car. Now, that is not suffering. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to diminish what suffering is by saying that suffering. That's not. That's, that's inconvenient. It's tedious. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. But it's not suffering. But, waiting for us at the other end of this journey are some wonderful things. Reunion with family and friends that we love. And we get to enjoy being with them. And we get to eat good things together. In and out burger. (laughs) You were waiting for that, I know. But more than that, more than that, far more than that. I'm going to, Lord willing, if their weather's any better than ours, (laughs) I'm going to lie by the pool in my in-laws' backyard and soak up that sun. I mean, when what's coming is good, when what's coming is awesome, then what comes before it 
is bearable. And the better it is, the more bearable the experience leading to it. No matter how bad it is. See, that's, that's the reality here of eternal life. It's real. Problem is, we just don't think about it enough. Probably because we don't suffer enough. But that eternal life is so real. It's going to transform everything. Everything that comes before it. And it's a free gift. It is a free gift from Jesus to those who want it, who will say yes to him, put their trust in him. Jesus said in John 6, 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, puts their trust in him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Promise signed by Jesus Christ. So look to the Son. Put your trust in him. Ask him for life. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. That's where we find comfort. That's where we find joy. That's where we find peace. No matter how painful things get. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him because he's real. He's real. Let's pray. Just want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you can tell God is speaking to your heart because you feel within yourself this stirring to, I, I need to hold on to Jesus. I need to put my trust in Him. I need to quit trying to to be good enough for God or I need to quit running away from God and I just need to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Write me in your book of life. Give me eternal life as a free gift because I can't earn it and I certainly don't deserve it. Ask Him. Look to the Son. Put your trust in Him if you haven't. And if today you, you know what suffering's like, Maybe not quite as bad as the Christians in Smyrna, but that doesn't matter. If you're suffering, if you're hurting, hold on to what Jesus says. Ask him to help you do that. Let's go to him and let's pray together. You just quietly pray. I'll do the same. I'll close in a minute. Lord Jesus, your promises are almost too good to be true. And Lord, our hearts fail us at times. We're, we're reluctant to believe that it could really be as good as you say it's going to be. Or Father, we experience hardship and we, we stumble because we think, why would God allow this to happen to me? Lord, your word tells us that we can expect 
suffering in this world of sin. And somehow, Lord, in ways we cannot comprehend, you have purposes behind these things. And you are going to use every one of them for our good if we will trust you. So we ask you to help us trust you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to put their trust in Jesus, I pray that they will do it. I pray you'd call them into your, into your kingdom and you'd make them one of your heirs. Father, help us believe and hold on to what is true. In Jesus' name, amen.